0: Let's pray together. Oh God, Jesus is about to walk onto the stage of the fourth gospel. And I pray that it will leave none of us the same again. In his name, Amen. In 1936, Samuel Barber composed what has become perhaps the most recognizable American orchestral piece. NPR Music said, and I quote, with a tense, melodic line and tout harmonies, the composition is considered by many to be the most popular of all 20th century orchestral works. Do you recognize it yet? It's the second movement in Barber's String Quartet, Opus 11. The second movement is known as Adagio for Strings. Wikipedia. What would we do without Wikipedia informs us that the recording of the 1938 world premiere with Arturo Toscanini conducting the NBC Symphony Orchestra was selected in 2005 by the U.S. Library of Congress for permanent preservation in the National Recording Registry. Since 1938, this recording has been heard the world over. Even the Soviet Union during the Cold War, this was the one American classical piece they would allow to be played. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt died, they played this music over the radio. Albert Einstein's funeral, it was played. The funeral of Princess Grace of Monaco, it was was played. 2001, we just remembered, a few days ago. At the last night of the proms in the Royal Albert Hall, that would be London, England, the normal patriotic music was dropped, the adagio for strings was played. Sports fans, Winter Olympics, Vancouver, B.C., 2010... It was played in the opening exercises. The British public, listening to the BBC's Today program, voted Adagio for Strings, the saddest classical work ever composed. And I love that piece, don't you? I'm going to play it for you. Not the whole piece, but a line. Because in 1967, Samuel Barber transcribed his piece into an eight-part choral rendition, and he named it Agnus Dei, Lamb of God. My favorite choral rendition is by the all-male choir. All these voices are male that you're about to hear. Of New College, Oxford. Before, before uh, we play just a piece of it, a line of it, I've written the words in Latin right here in my Bible, just to, uh, on the page for John 1. Agnus de qui tolles peccato mundi, Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. Miserere nobis, have mercy on us. Dona nobis pacem, grant us peace. Now... We'll row, that, uh, we'll row that band and we'll listen to just a few seconds of the opening. You'll instantly recognize it when you hear it if you still don't recall it. of it, couldn't you? But there was no angelic choir singing. There was no heavenly orchestration on the day. The words that inspired on you's day were first spoken. Sun-baked wilderness moment when the Word made flesh appears on this stage for the first time. I want to read that line with you. Open your Bible. The fourth Gospel. The Gospel of John. Let's go. A moving drama. We've now we finished the prologue. Three sessions in the prologue. Now the stories, one after the other, come tumbling in. John chapter 1, verse 29. I'll be in the New King James Version. You didn't bring a Bible today. You have to track this narrative. Pull the Pew Bible out in front of you. Page 714 in the Pew Bible. It will also be the New King James Version. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. Fourth Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 29. Ready? John 1, 29, the next day. Hit the pause button right there. What's the next day? That's the day after the previous day. What happened on the previous day? (laughs) Yo, Baptist, you the Messiah? Nope. You Elijah? No. You the prophet Moses talked about? No. Then who are you? And the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord. Then why do you baptize? Listen to me. I baptize with water, but there is one standing in your midst right now whose sandals I am not even worthy to unlatch. Rabbis, when they surrounded themselves with disciples, could never command a disciple, take off my sandals. Uh Uh-uh. Disciple never had to stoop that low. That task was only performed by a slave. In the Middle East, anything down here, verboten just bad. So that when, the, when the President of the United States shows up by surprise in Baghdad at a news conference and a reporter reaches down, he pulls off his shoe to throw it at him. You might remember that. Bad. When John says, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandal, he's saying, I am lower than a slave in his presence. That's the one of whom he speaks. All right, now we can read it. Verse 29, and the next day, John saw Jesus. Last time he saw Jesus, 40 plus days ago. He sees the same Jesus that he baptized. Now sunken cheeks, hollowed out eyes, skin and bones, but fire in those young eyes. And a kingly mane on that countenance. And when he spots him in the crowd, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said... Hear the words on day," And he said, behold, exclamation mark. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, exclamation mark. I tell you what, there ought to be an angel choir singing right now. This, this would be the perfect moment for all of that orchestration to come moving in. Do you know why? Because this is the first time in human history that any human being, has been granted the honor of personally introducing God Almighty made flesh as the Messiah. Prophets by the hundreds before John would have given almost their lives if they could have been the one appointed. Can I have that privilege, God? When you come to earth, can I be the one to introduce you? Only John. That's why Jesus months later will say of John, by the way, of all the babies that ever came out of their their mother's womb, This is the greatest ever to be born. Wow. And by the way, born for this solitary moment and mission. You think about it. This is it. Everything prior in John the Baptist's life has been a prelude. Now, verse 29, and everything that follows is postlude. Everything is wrapped up in his life mission in that single sentence, that sun-baked day. I bring that to our attention because some of us think that when God calls you to do whatever it is you've been called to do, and thank you, Alice, for reminding us during our worship this morning, we all have a calling. But then, when God calls you, he calls you for a nice hunk of 20 years on the world stage, or maybe 30. No. When you look at the greats in Holy Scripture... More often than not, it was one shining moment. Elisha. You think Elisha lived all his life, miracle after miracle, 43 years of Elisha's life in absolute obscurity. We have no trace of them. Elijah, the big Elijah, the precursor to Elisha. 29 years. We only know a few days of Elijah's life. The Lord Jesus. 30 plus years in absolute unknown obscurity. And then you get your moment. Some of you are coming to that moment soon. Some of us have already passed the moment. But we remain faithful till the end. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For this one sentence, John the Baptist was born. And it makes you wonder, could it be my life destiny and yours is wrapped up in that one sentence as well. That point is so critical. I want you to grab your study guide right now out of your worship bulletin, please. Brand new study guide today. Pull it out. we got to lock that in while it's still fresh in our minds. Thank you, ushers. Let's go. If you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up. Here the ushers coming up the aisles right behind you. So hold your hand up, and we'll make sure you get this study guide. This one's a keeper, I hope. You're up in the balcony. Hold your hand up. You're in overflow. We're glad you're here. Hold your hand up. Those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you as well. Let me put our website on the screen for you, and you can go to the website and get the same study guide. There it is, our website, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for this series, the series, The Last Word, the fourth gospel for a final generation. You'll see the big banner at the top. Can't miss it. I can't believe we're already at part four of the series. So you want to drop down to the teaching that's entitled, Under the Fig Tree on Top of the Ladder. When you see that title, click on, it says, Study Guide. You'll get the study guide, the identical one, sitting right there. Those of you watching live streaming right now, wherever you are in the United States or in the world, we're delighted to have you. You can do the same thing. You've got your computer live and going now, so just use your computer with your other hand and we'll, we'll have that same study guide. All right? Let's go. They'll get to you. Keep your hand up if you didn't get one. Jot this down. For this one sentence, John the Baptist was born. One sentence. Everything before a prelude, everything after postlude. One sentence he gets. That's his moment. For this one sentence, he was born. How about this? For this one witness, you and I have been born. Could that be true? For this one witness. You're saying, Dwight, what's the witness? Now, you know what the witness is. Write it down. For this one witness, look. That's the NIV. I like the NIV, by the way. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at him. For that one witness, you've been born. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, why Lamb of God? Why doesn't John the Baptizer use what John the Evangelist does? Why doesn't, why doesn't he say, Hey, look, the Word of God? Or how about, Hey, look, the King of God? Or how about this one? Hey, look, the Son of God. No, 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 no. He says, Hey, look, the Lamb of God. Now, in his hearers' minds, boom, connection. But we are not an agrarian society, are we? The closest we ever get to a lamb is, Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. I bet you don't know the next stanza. It followed her to school one day. It was against the rule. It made the children laugh and play to see a lamb in school. We don't even know the poem anymore. We're not agrarian. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very mention of sin and this lamb links it immediately to sacrifice. But what, what do we know? About sacrificing a lamb today, we know zero, nada, nothing. So let's go to a nearby farm. Fortunately, one of our retired faculty owns a farm. I'm talking about the retired religion professor, Joseph Grigg. So let's go to Joseph Grigg's farm. We're going to take uh, Kathy Kudel along. She's from the agriculture department here. We're taking along a camera, and we're going to go and find out what, what a, what's up with this sacrificing of a sheep, of a lamb. We rolled this camera out a few years ago and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play the clip right here. This is on Joe, Joe and Stella Griggs' farm, all right? Right outside of, uh, right down the road here on Lemon Creek. I'm standing here in the pasture of Joe Griggs who's standing beside me and Kathy Cudell. Actually, Kathy, this is your sheep, mm-hmm. or you have how many sheep here?
1: I have about six. You got six sheep here.
0: And this is a ewe. Yeah. She's about how old would she be? About a year and a half old. About a year and a half old. Thinking of the sacrificial system, uh Kathy and Joe. The little lamb, uh, year or under, is brought to the tabernacle and well, let's face it, uh sheep are butchered in our country for uh, for mutton, for, mm-hmm. for consumption. Mm-hmm. Where how how is the animal butchered? Uh with a knife okay. right right here you can you can feel the you can feel the artery if
1: you push your fingers right down on the right ear-to-ear spot ear to ear and yeah ear to ear yeah you cut you can't cut it just shallow because Otherwise, uh, you'll cut just the jugular, jugular, and uh, it'll stand there and bleed for a long, long time. Mm. I've seen people who've done that, Mm. and uh, it's not not a very nice Mm. sight.
0: Now, Joe, you were saying the moment the incision is made, the animal goes unconscious. That's right. As soon as the blood pressure drops. That blood pressure drops. Mm -hmm. Consciousness uh, fades away. Mm -hmm. And in in a period of moments, minutes, the the animal will bleed to death. Moments. Moments. Seconds. Mm -hmm. Seconds. You have been a real sport. Bless your soul. Well, it's important to be kind to animals. It's always important to be kind to animals. Look, at when you and I see a lamb, we see a sheep. Ah, and all that little uh, curly curly uh, wool. But when John cries out, Behold the Lamb of God, instantly the connection is made in the listeners. In fact, they knew the ancient prophecy. Now, I want you to keep your finger right here because we'll be right back. But go to Isaiah. They knew this prophecy. This was not an unknown piece of antiquity. Isaiah chapter 53. We know it well ourselves. But look at the words here. Just uh, refresh our memories. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, speaking of... The coming Messiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. By his stripes, you and I, we are healed. All we like sheep, verse 6, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Now here it comes. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Write it down. What John is crying out that that sunny day when he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it is essentially the cry, Behold the Savior. That's what he's saying. Take a look. Yo, I'm pointing at him right now. Look at the Savior of this world. I mean, that's the gospel. The Lamb of God who takes away. He takes away our sin. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. He takes away our death. By dying in our place, the cut cut, is on His throat, not ours. The Lamb of God who takes away. You don't have to go to bed tonight with any haunting guilt on your conscience. You can ask Jesus in this split second, God, be my Savior and wash me clean. Just like that, He'll do it. He's the Lamb of God who takes it away. That is the everlasting gospel thundered by that camel-haired, bushy-bearded prophet named John the Baptizer. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Savior. And by the way, the next day, John is so eager to drive this point into the consciousness of his own disciples that he repeats himself. This is the next day. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. So they're just the three of them standing there. And looking at Jesus as he walked. He spots him. The same form. Looking at Jesus as he walked. John said, Gentlemen. Behold, look, 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 the Lamb of God. I'm not going to talk about taking away the sin of the world. I told you about that yesterday. I want you to lock on to him. Get that picture in your mind. This is the one. See his face. This is God come down. Look at the Lamb of God. Behold. And immediately, this is what's so amazing, immediately, those two disciples of John the baptizer, devoted followers of his, in that split second, they pivot on their sandals, They walk away from John forever and ever. i tell you what. Some of us find it very difficult to play second fiddle. But not John. John, in chapter 3, verse 30, he, he will declare these immortal words. They still remain with us. John speaking, speaking of Christ. He must increase. And I... I must decrease. How hard it is for some of us to say that about each other. She must increase. Put me in the background. Push her out. Put him out. Put me in the background. How hard it is for some of us who work for him to say, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a gutsy confession to make. After your prime. After your prime, he makes it. And when the crowds begin to dwindle and the people follow a new Messiah, can we still whisper, he must increase and I must decrease? Just like that, they're gone forever. Two disciples, never to follow John again. Something in that stranger compels them. Here we go, verse 37. The two disciples who heard John speak, they followed Jesus. When somebody starts walking behind you for a while, you pretty soon pick it up, don't you? You just know, somebody is following me. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? There they are. If you have a red letter Bible, those are the first words in red in the fourth gospel. John the the Evangelist obviously has, has brooded over how to begin his story. What will be the first words on the lips of Christ? The Word made flesh. What will be his first words? Intriguingly enough, this question must be significant to John the Evangelist because he not only begins his gospel with the question, What do you seek? He ends his gospel with the same question, Who do you seek? Mary's sobbing her eyes out in the garden and the sepulchre's empty and she thinks it's the gardener who asks her, Woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? And she says, Sir, if you've taken the body, just tell me I'll take it from you. The gospel begins with what do you seek? It ends with who do you seek? Because the journey of life is from what you seek to who you seek. The last question. Why are you, Dwight, why are you so furiously driving yourself through this life? Andrews University, campus, what's up with you guys? Just driven, 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 driven. What are you looking for? Who are you seeking? Could it be me you look for? Robert Smith, in his very creative commentary on the fourth gospel, called The Wounded Lord, it's all set through the eyes and confession of Thomas at the end of the gospel. Very, very creatively done. I'll put his words on the screen for you. Take a look at this. You have to fill this in, by the way. It's in your study guide. By means of this first utterance of Jesus, the evangelist poses a question to all readers of the gospel. As we approach the Jesus who inhabits the pages of the fourth gospel, the evangelist insists that we not rush forward mindlessly turning pages. By the way, I love it. And, and, and Japheth the Olivetta was in First Church. And I spoke to him from up here. I love this one project that we're on now. We're all in the Gospels, right? Matthew on uh, the House of Prayer and dorm worships, co-curricular worships. Everybody's in the Gospels or Acts. But you know what? It would be really, it would be sad as if, if, if all we're doing is just turning the pages. Well, good, get, to, get, get another Gospel. Quick, 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 before the school year's up. Forget it. Robert Smith says, wait a minute. Why, why are you turning the pages? You people who are plunging into the fourth Gospel, what is it? Just a little bit of page turning. So I read a new story. Mm. As we approach the Jesus who inhabits the pages of the fourth gospel, the evangelist insists that we do not rush forward mindlessly turning pages. He wants us to stop and to take to heart this question. Write it down. What are you seeking? What are you looking for in your life? What's the thirst that drives you? What's the hunger that moves you? What are you seeking? What do you want from this Jesus? What are you hoping for and looking for as you read the story of Jesus set forth in this gospel? What are you seeking with all your striving and working and thinking? What is the target and goal of all your living? What are you seeking, guys? You're following me. What are you looking for? Verse 38. Then just turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? This is a little too public a place to talk. Can we, do you have a little place? Do you have somewhere private where we can visit? Where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, I love this, verse 39, Come and see. And they came and they saw where He was staying. And they remained with Him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour, four o'clock in the afternoon. Wouldn't you love... Talking about a video clip to roll in the midst of this teaching. Wouldn't you love to see on the screen the picture of Jesus, Andrew... And we're going to find out, it's, it's John Boy, the three of them sitting wherever Jesus took them. And they're spending the afternoon in conversation. Look, at if you and a friend could be alone with Jesus for one afternoon, what would you be talking about with Jesus? What would be on your, what would be on your conversation list? If you could have that time alone. We're not told what the conversation was whatever it was, one of the two of them was so moved as soon as they excused themselves at four in the afternoon, he went to find his brother. And because everybody in this story gets named except this other disciple, and because we already know that the the writer of the Gospel of John always hides himself in the background. It isn't a whole lot of rocket science to conclude that that's John Boy. And because John Boy and Peter always show up together in the Gospel, it's not surprising to think that maybe Andrew didn't go alone, but John Boy followed him and the two of them find brother, friend, Peter. Verse 40, One of the two of them who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon. And he said to him, Yo, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, or the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, as we say, Kephas in the Aramaic. Stone. Greek, Petros. From whence comes the name Peter. You will be called Stone." You know, wasn't that something that Jesus didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what, you, you know, you know what you're going to do? Before I'm, before I'm even dead, you're going to deny me to the world. You're going to turn the air blue with your obscenities, saying, I don't know him at all. Not a word. Not a word. He just says, Mr. Stone, you're going to be a rock. Isn't that something about Jesus, by the way? He calls us what our potential is, never what our weakness is. He picks out your potential and he says, girl, I love you. i got a dream for your life. Boy, I see you. And that's what he speaks. It reminds me of this line from Desire of Ages. not connected with this story at all, but I want to insert it right here. Put it on the screen for you. Desire of Ages, that classic on the life of Jesus. Jesus does not tell to any all that he might reveal, but he bids every trembling soul take courage. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't tell me everything about me that he knows. I think I'd quit. I think we'd all commit suicide. I think we probably would. It'd just be true. I can't take that. He says, I know you can't. I'm not going to tell you everything I know about you, Dwight. Just live today with me. We'll get to tomorrow in due time. Today. You and me. What a Savior. What a friend. I mean, do you have a friend who's closer to you than that? Uh, So, Jesus now has three disciples. Look at this. There's Jesus with his disciple Andrew and his disciple Peter and his disciple John Boy. Or should we say, there's Jesus and Andrews? You're pretty quick. Doesn't he want to be disciples with all of us? He says, I want Andrews and I want Peter and I want John. I want the whole campus. He's always looking for disciples, which is why the very next verse, look at verse 43, the following day. Jesus, wanting to go to Galilee, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found, whoa, this is the one he finds. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me, verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and by the way, John. They're all from right, they're all right there on the shores of Galilee. Isn't that something? Philip knows Peter and Andrew and John. And and, and by the way, that's how the kingdom grows. As my friend Ruthie Jacobson likes to put it, the kingdom advances among friends. And so the four of them spend time with Jesus. How much time? We don't know. But we do know that as soon as it's over, Philip behaves in the same way as Andrew did. He leaves Jesus and he goes and he finds a friend of his because that's how it works. I love this line from Steps to Christ. You'll have to fill it in. Put it on the screen, please. Steps to Christ. No sooner does one come to Christ than there is born in her heart, there is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend. Write that in. What a precious friend he has found in Jesus. Do you think of Jesus as your friend? You really can you don't have to, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get too, too, too familiar. No, He is your friend. He's your friend. What a precious friend you found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth can't be shut up in, in your heart. We should not be able to hold our peace. Oh, I love this. You can't keep quiet. You're going to have to say something about it to somebody. I've got to tell you about this friend of mine who doesn't tell me my weaknesses, but he calls me by my strength when I'm not even at my strength yet. Wow. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we shall have something to tell. Like Philip, when he found the Savior, we shall invite others, come, 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 into his presence. We shall seek to present to them the attractions. Would you make sure you get that word in? Because some people go around and they're always talking about the distractions of Christ. This is what's not good about them. And this will be what's tough about this Christian life. And this is where the burden gets heavy. For Pete's sake. If you can't say anything nice about Jesus, don't say anything at all. Talk about His attractions. Man, is He that way? I tell you what, He's been that way with me. Come, check it out for yourself. We shall seek to present to them the attractions of Christ and the unseen realities of the world to come. There will be an earnest longing that those around us may... Here's our theme text. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... End quote. So, what does Philip do? He goes, looking for a friend. I tell you what, he knows precisely where to find a friend. Your friends know where you hang out. They know, please. Philip knows where he'll find his friend, under a fig tree. Why he's under that fig tree, in one split second we'll find out. But let's go with Philip to find Nathanael. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him. This is the same same testimony as Andrew. He's essentially saying we found the Messiah. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now, I'm going to give you his name, Nathaniel. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, that, and Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of that little podunk town? There was a little bit of intra-village rivalry around Galilee. That's what was going on. Shh, Nazareth. Can you believe it? But ladies and gentlemen, in the sequence, we have just read these last five or six verses. What we have found are embedded seven simple steps on how to share Jesus with your world. Jot them now. I'm going to fly them by you. Seven of them. Here they go. Number one: First, meet Jesus yourself. That's absolutely imperative. You can't share what you don't have. You have to meet Jesus yourself. Andrew meets him, Philip meets him, then they go find their friends. All right, number one, meet Jesus yourself. Number two, spend time with him. You can't just say, oh, hi, Jesus, nice to meet you, see you again, and then go. You, you, you have to spend time. You've got to know why this friendship is so special. Why is this friendship so meaningful? Ah, because you spend time with him. Number three, good counsel, by the way, begin with a family member or friend. Some people think, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go out and just pick on a stranger. Well, you can do it, but you're setting yourself up for some real disappointment. Pick somebody who already has confidence in you, who knows you, says, hey, I'll take your word for it. Somebody that loves you, family member, somebody who's close to you, a friend. Tell them. Let them be the first ones you tell about Jesus. As Ruthie Jacobson said, jot it down, the kingdom advances among friends. That's how Jesus is doing. Andrew, John, Philip, Nathaniel. Bing, 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 bing. He's pulling in all these friends. You'll soon have 12. One of them, he never called. One of them came and said, You need me. And he didn't need him. Sad story. Okay, number number three, begin with a family member or a friend. Number four, share your story. Some people call it a testimony. What's a testimony? It's simply telling your story about you and Jesus. That's what Andrew did. Hey, Peter, i got to tell you about me and Jesus. That's what Philip did. Yo, Nathaniel, let me tell you about me and Jesus. Just tell your story. That's number four. Number five, Do not argue. Notice how Philip deftly sidestepped the argument that Nathaniel was trying to pick. Come on, Nazareth. Not a word. Instead, he does number six. Invite personal examination. Come and see. Hey, look, I know it doesn't make sense to you. Come on, check it out. Trust me. Do Do you know? You and I are friends, right? Yeah. Can you trust me? Yeah. Come on. Check it out. And finally, number seven. Important. Bring them to Jesus. In other words, stay with your family member. Stay with your friend. Don't throw out an invitation and say, hey, go find Jesus. Blessings on you. No, you've got to go with Him. You've got to lead Him. You've got to journey with Him. I'm with you. We're close. You have confidence in me. You haven't met Jesus, but you have confidence in me. Let's go together. Always journey with them. There they are, seven simple steps. Let me take you to Jesus. Ah, come on, Dwight, but how does this work in real life? I mean, look, if Jesus were here and he's coming to chapel or something, then I could bring everybody to chapel. Look, I want you all to meet my friend Jesus. But he's not here now. Okay, I'll show you how it works. We'll do it right here. Let me share an example for you. In today's bulletin is one of these. Put it up here. We'll get a camera on it. You see it? It says, Prophecies Decoded. It's in your worship bulletin. You know what this is? This is a satellite lectureship done by a friend of all of ours, Ron Couset. Sits in this church every Sabbath of worship when he's around. He's going to do this. Prophecies decoded. Ah, come on, do I? I'm not into prophecies. You, you, you were talking about sharing Jesus. I am talking about sharing Jesus. You're, not, you're, you're kidding me, aren't you, when you say you're not going to get into Prophecies. I mean, please, look at it in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John. We're going to run into this line one of these days. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because they are they which testify of me. That's what prophecy is. It tells the story of Jesus. In fact, the greatest prophetic book at the end of the New Testament is called Revelation. It's the revelation of what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's how it works. You take one of these. Somebody says, yeah, I'm not into prophecy. Oh, come on, come on. This is about Jesus. You take it to a friend, all right? Somebody you know. Somebody in the dorm that you know that needs Jesus, okay? So you take it. Personally deliver it. You don't stick it under the door. You deliver it. Neighbor, deliver it. Colleague at work, you deliver it. And you say, listen, this, this is a, a fascinating lectureship that's beginning two weeks from last night. Two weeks from last night. It'll be right here at the Pioneer Memorial Church. I'm going to pick you up, and let's go together. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. If you don't like it, you leave. But I have found these prophecies not only a a stirring opening to the headlines today, but I have found they tell about my friend Jesus. I'd love to have you come. Let me pick you up. What time can I pick you up? Because it's going to start at 7.20 sharp. When can I pick you up? What did we just do? We went through all seven steps right here. We did all seven steps. Oh, no, I'm not into prophecy. No, come on, come on. You know me. Let's just check it out together. I think you'll be happily surprised. Come and see. I go with you. Ladies and gentlemen, are we talking about rocket science here? Are you kidding? Hey, i got to ask you this question. You tell me. Do you suppose Jesus worked hard to make sure that sharing Him with other people on this planet would be the most gruesome and awful experience we could ever have? Do you think He worked hard to do that? I think it's the flip side of that coin, don't you? I think Jesus said, listen, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for you. Find a friend, somebody who loves you, somebody who trusts you, and go to that friend and say, I want you to come with me. I'll go with you. We'll go together. I think you're going to be happily surprised. What's not to like about that? There'll be a stack of these at the door when you leave. Any of the greetings? Just grab a handful. Yeah, i got more than one friend. Great, grab a handful. Hand them out. By the way, Pastor Rodley is telling me, listen, Dwight, make sure they know that in the worship bulletin today, there's a page for signing up as a volunteer. We need all kinds of volunteers to help make this event a huge success. So you bring your friends, volunteer if you want. You'll see that page in the bulletin. By the way, oh, let me tell you this before I sit down. There's something in it for you. No, I'm serious. You know that Steps of Christ quotation a moment ago? We didn't finish it. Let's finish it right now. Put it back up on the screen, please. You'll have to fill it in. And the effort to bless others, because sharing Jesus, what is that? It's trying to bless somebody else. And the effort to bless others will react in blessings upon ourselves. This was the purpose of God in giving us a part to act in the plan of salvation. He has granted you and me the privilege of becoming partakers of the divine nature and in their turn, in our turn, of spreading diffusing blessings to those around us. Now here come now this is this is dynamite. This is the highest honor. Can you believe that? Now notice that. This is the highest honor. There's no honor higher than this. This is the highest honor. This is the greatest joy that it is possible for God to give to bestow to you and me. Why would it be such a high honor? Why would it be such a great joy? Because just like John just like John, you get the privilege of saying, Hey, look, look, look. This is the one. This is the one. I want you to meet him. There's no higher honor. And by the way, you were born for this. You were born to do this. That's why you live. Did you think that you live just to occupy a little bit of terra firma until you become fertilizer again? You think that's why you live? Are you kidding? You've been born. Why did Jesus find you? Why did he find Andy? Because I want Peter. I'm getting you, Andrew. You get Peter for me. I'm getting you, Philip. You get Nathaniel for me. He needs us. That's why we were born. This is the highest honor you can have. Whoa. uh, keep, Keep going. Those who thus become participants in labors of love are brought, can you believe that word, nearest. 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 You want to be close to God? I can't imagine anybody saying, no, Do I actually don't want to be very near God. I want to be close enough, but not that near. Are you kidding? You wouldn't be here today. If you want to be close to God, this is the one activity in this life that will bring you nearest to God. You can't get closer than nearest. Wow. Why do we make... You know what? It just hit me why we make such a big deal about this. I'll bet you there's somebody around here who doesn't want us to do this. He knows how fast it goes. Boom, 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 boom. Stop. This is too much work. Come on. You don't have time. Look at, look at it. Oh, good night. Go, go, go. Why would he do that? Because you are the most persuasive witness Christ has. He could show up in person. The person would fall down dead. He said, I can't do that. I'll send a friend of his. She will listen to a friend of hers. You're the best shot God has. Don't let your friend down. That one and that one. Don't let your friend down. Be a witness. Wow. So Philip does. So, so Philip is taking Nathaniel now. Come and see. Okay, verse 47. And look at this. Jesus is waiting. Jesus has set this thing up. Watch this. Verse 47. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And he said of him, not in a whisper, so he has all these little disciples around him now, little, they're tall as he is. He has all these disciples around him, and he's, and he's saying it loud enough so that Nathanael, who is walking this way, in spite of the crunching sandals on the wilderness rock, Nathaniel can overhear Jesus. So Jesus is talking rather loud. He said, oh, by the way, hey, fellas, look, behold, an Israelite, indeed, a true blue Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. And the Greek word for deceit is the bait on a fish hook." In whom there is no bait. Because I know some people who say they're followers of Christ, that they practice bait and switch. From about ten yards away, they look great until you get up close. And then, mercy, when did they move in next door? And why do we have to live next door to them? Bait and switch. Hey, there's a true Israelite. No bait on that hook. He's the real deal. Oh, Nathaniel comes walking up and he says... Yo, how do you know about me? Jesus looked at him. Look at that next verse. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to tell you something, Nathaniel. Before Philip came to you, I saw you under that fig tree. And just like that, this is what's so astounding to me. I've always said, why, come on, Nathaniel. Don't you think this is a little precipitous? You can't just blurt it out because, boom, oh, Rabbi, you are the King of Israel and the Son of God. How did you do that so fast, Nathaniel? Ah, that's a clue to what was happening under the fig tree. Apparently, Nathaniel has been in prayer under the fig tree. He's heard John the Baptist. He's seen this skinny man that he's pointed at, this young adult. And he's in the, under his fig tree praying to God. Almighty God, you can't, God, you can't be serious. This can't be the Messiah. Is this really the Lamb of God? God, I'm asking you, give me a sign. Give me a sign and I will believe. And when Nathaniel comes walking up, he gets the perfect sign. I saw you under the fig tree. Isn't that something? By the way, where do you have worship? First part of the day. Where is it you go to have prayer? Wherever it is. Isn't it stunning to realize He sees me in my private prayers? He sees you with your broken heart. He sees you with your tortured life. He sees you with your weary heart. He sees you. I saw you in the corner of that dorm room. I saw you this morning. I was listening, girl. Boy, I was listening to you. I saw you. Isn't that amazing? Wow. You are God. I know, and I'm your friend. Follow me. Mercy. And Jesus looks into Nathaniel's face, by the way, and he says to him, verse 50. This is the the end. Jesus answered and said to him, Hey! Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? Oh, Nathanael, you're going to see greater things than these. And now here comes verse 51. And Jesus said to Nathanael, most assuredly, and by the way, we run into it for the first time, 25 times, only the writer John will exercise this literary device. Two words in the Greek, the same word, amen, amen. In English, it would be amen, amen. Only John does it. And every time John inserts... Twenty-five times in his gospel, amen, amen, it's like he's, he's, he's waving this red flag. Yo, reader, slow down now, slow down. Something big is about to be declared. Amen, amen, I say to you, from now on you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Look at me, Nathaniel. You remember the story of Jacob? You remember Jacob's ladder? I am that ladder. I take the hand of Almighty God. I take the hand of the human race. I am the connection. I am. And on me, the angels of God will ascend and descend. I just caught it for the first time this week. It says, ascend and descend. I thought it was descend and ascend. No. When Jesus steps into your life, the ladder goes down into your life. And in that instant, you have the bonus blessing... Of the angels of heaven who are on the ground, boots on the ground with you. They ascend to heaven with your petitions. They descend from heaven with God's promises. They ascend to heaven with your cries. They descend from heaven with God's answers. When you get Jesus, when you get the ladder, you get all of heaven. Now tell me that isn't a friend to get excited about, huh? My... And because I am God's ladder in your life, I need you to be my ladder in someone else's life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth. Write it down in closing, please. Once Jesus becomes your Lamb, you become His ladder. What's that mean? Put it the other way. Next screen, please. Once Jesus becomes your Savior... You become His witness. It just goes ipso facto. It just follows just like that. Ah, uh, oh, do, I, do I have to be a witness for Him? No, it's not do I have to. It's do I get to. You get to. And what do we just read? And this is the highest honor, the greatest joy that is possible for God to bestow upon men and women. Hallelujah and amen. Well, that was a pretty weak amen. Let me try it again. Hallelujah and amen. 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 That is an honor that He's called you and me to become witnesses for Him. So stand to your feet right now. We're going to sing the song that you learned in Sabbath school. And I promise you, you have not forgotten it. Stand to your feet right now. And our minister music will give us a mighty chord. And we're going to start with that. is our prayer. We were born for this just like John the Baptist born for this one testimony a world you who know me take a look at him this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world God please make us mighty witnesses for our Christ in his name we pray Amen